0: of why they displayed their famous vile and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Stephen Port. Stephen Port was born on February 22, 1975 in southend on sea in Southeastern Essex in England. So as we do, let's get into some history for that time. In 1975, the Vietnam War finally ended as communist forces took Saigon and South Vietnam surrendered. The United States then carried out, quote, Operation Babylift out of Vietnam, bringing orphans back to the U.S. Spanish dictator Francisco Franco, the leader of Spain at that time, died at the age of 82. He had taken over power in 1939 after his nationalist forces defeated the Republic during the Spanish Civil War. After his death, the monarchy was restored and the country returned to democracy. Also in 1975, an IRA hit squad took refuge as well as hostages in central London. They bombed the London Hilton Hotel and murdered Ross McWhirter, who was the co-founder of the Guinness Book of World Records. In Morocco, the Green March, with 350,000 unarmed citizens, crossed the border into the Spanish-controlled area of Western Sahara, demanding the return of the Moroccan Sahara Desert. The king of Saudi Arabia was assassinated, and the U.S. pulled out of Cambodia. So the inflation rate in the U.K. reached 25%. New York City barely avoided bankruptcy when President Ford signed a $2.3 billion loan for them. Oil prices increased by 10%, making it cost over $13 a barrel, which was a lot at that time. The British Conservative Party chose its first woman leader, Margaret Thatcher. The movie Jaws was released, which is now a classic. NASA launched the first joint U.S. and Soviet Union spaceflight. Bruce Springsteen released his third album, Born to Run, and was wildly successful. Saturday Night Live premiered and Muhammad Ali beat Joe Frazier. The average cost of a car was about $4,250 and a gallon of gas was 44 cents. The average price of a house was around $12,000 or rent was about 200 a month. The average annual income was $14,000 a year. So this was the atmosphere that Stephen was born into. Stephen's parents were Albert and Joan Port. And though he was born in Southend-on-Sea, Around the age of one, his parents moved to Dagenham, which wasn't far away. And while I don't see why this is so significant, at least significant enough to warrant every single source mentioning it and calling attention to it, apparently it was. Now his family, for all intents and purposes, seemed to be just average working class people I found no criminal history regarding either parent, there are no statements about the parents being cruel or overly strict, all information points to two very decent and loving parents. Stephen himself was described as a very shy and very quiet child. He was so withdrawn, in fact, that it has been said that some of the kids at his primary school thought he was actually deaf because he wouldn't react or respond to the other children who tried to talk to him. Indeed, he seemed very much anxious as a small boy, detached from his peers. He was content with his own company, not needing attention really from anyone. One thing he did enjoy, which was art, which he felt he had a real talent for. So once he got through school, he entered into an art college. And that's really all I have for his childhood. And it's not much, but there's a little. We'll get into it. Now, we really have no concerns with the environment that he grew up in. From what I understand, and I did ask a couple of my followers on Instagram who live in England, if East London was like a dangerous area or what's going on on that side. And I was told that, especially in the 80s, it was kind of a lower class working area. We can infer that he didn't do without the basic necessities, such as food, water, shelter, clothing, and so on nothing to show that he was neglected in any way. And again, there is no information pointing to an abusive parent or a parent with any mental illness. And while we can't know for sure whether or not his parents were super nurturing, attentive and so on, we also have no proof that they weren't. They later spoke of just how shy and backwards their son was with people that he never quote spoke up. To me, this sounds like, at the very least, moderately concerned parents. There is also no reports that show he suffered from any major illness or experienced, say, any head trauma. All signs point to a decently well cared for safe, but quiet, shy, and introverted child. So, let's take a look at that. According to the Center for Parenting Education, research has shown that 75% of individuals are categorized as extroverts. So extroverts seek stimulation outside of themselves and prefer to be with others to get their energy. In social settings, their batteries are recharged. More often than not, their qualities are valued more than those of introverts. Consequently, extroverts receive more positive reinforcement from those around them. Now, introverts often feel out of place and, as a result, may need to develop extra coping skills to help them feel good about who they are. Introverts tend to need time to process their experiences and do not readily talk about what they are thinking. So, the adults in their lives may need to reach beyond the surface to discover what's going on inside their child's mind. And also, there is a very strong biological basis for where people fall on the quote extroversion to introversion spectrum. Parents or trusted adults might be able to help pull a child a bit in one direction or the other, but basically it isn't possible to change the child from an introvert to an extrovert. It is hardwired. Introverts prefer internal thinking as a way to cope with the world and can be easily overwhelmed by sights and sounds and tend to narrow their experiences but go deeply into those areas they'd have chosen to focus on. They are strong listeners. They seek solitude for renewal. So the opposite of extroverts, introverts need a long time to recharge their batteries introverts prefer not to share their emotions they have a very high self-awareness they learn through observing they're quiet in social settings they see inner reflection is very important and so on. i myself am an introvert now reaching introverted children can be as simple as adding opportunities for creative expression throughout the day It can be an incredibly positive experience when introverted children are exposed to many forms of art, music, science, and literature. But they are sensitive to people, places, and things around them, and it is crucial to observe and not exceed their threshold for outside stimulation. Not all introverts are necessarily shy, and not all of them experience social anxiety, but we see that Stephen suffered with this very much, so his needs would have been more intense than the typical introverted child. And it was also stated in a few source materials that he was very mentally immature for his age. So he actually displayed mental processing and behaviors that were quite a bit younger than his actual chronological age. So there's that. But this still isn't enough to explain his crimes. So we have decent, if not good parents who understood his personality. They provided. I mean, he didn't do without anything he needed. There's no illness, no head trauma he received a good education but we know from his crimes that he was homosexual and from interviews with his parents his father primarily did not approve of this lifestyle. Reading their interviews you kind of get the sense that they thought he would eventually settle down with a nice girl you know the usual hope but he was born and was a teenager during times when it was virtually acceptable to be openly gay and he didn't really come out to his parents until later in his adulthood, so of course that could be a source of contention. In my opinion, and mine only, I'm just not seeing anything in his background with the information I was able to find out about his family and childhood that says to me that he could be a future murderer. So let's get back into it. While he was in art school, he describes himself as being truly happy. But unfortunately, he was forced to drop out because his parents simply couldn't afford the tuition. It is said that this angered him greatly. Stephen then went on to train as a chef and he was actually pretty impressive but he was still very upset because he felt that he was a talented artist and he wasn't getting to be one. He began working as a chef at a stagecoach bus depot in West Ham. So his life was fairly predictable, but then in 2005, at the age of 30, he finally moved out of his parents' house, which is a bit older than most of his generation. Stephen moved into an apartment in Barking, East London, not very far at all from his parents. Now, one of his neighbors from that area, who was also one of the only other gay men in the neighborhood, stated that he was, quote, a man of few words, and that he was quite tall, but walked with an almost bit of a lumber or a lurch, is how he described it. If people talked to him, he would look down. He was not comfortable with eye contact. If he did answer you, it was usually only one or two word answers. Now this neighbor and Stephen became friends and the neighbor remarked that he thought something in Stephen's mental development was stunted and he shared a story about how he was going to have this dinner party at his apartment and he invited some people including Stephen. He found this toy fire truck and gave it to his friend as sort of a joke, but he said that Stephen sat cross-legged on the floor and played with that truck while the party continued. continued on around him indeed he did have a childlike quality quote unquote to him apparently he was collecting toys as an adult which is certainly not abnormal but he also played with them as a child would now because he was so cripplingly and socially awkward he found it nearly impossible to meet men and begin dating So, he did what many innocently do. He joined the online dating scene. Social media was actually something that he was really excited about. The ability to interact without really having to, you know, interact. He joined many different social media sites, though he did sort of struggle with what to say on his profile about himself. But then again, due to that disconnect, he decided to talk himself up a bit. So on his Facebook, as an example, which, by the way, is not there anymore, I looked. He said he had studied at the University of Oxford. He said that he was a formal naval flight officer for Her Majesty's Royal Navy, and that he was a special needs catering teacher at Westminster Kingsway College at King's Cross. Of course none of this was true. And experts believe he was trying on a few different identities if you will. He posted tons of selfies and it was obvious that he did take care of himself. He was in fact tall, long and lean, often taking mirror selfies with no shirt on. Some selfies were naked. But Stephen wasn't using current photos of himself. He was actually using some from when he was a little bit younger and he was also starting to lose his hair so he took to wearing these blonde toupees to cover it because he was highly insecure but he did advertise the attractive side of himself as i mean let's admit it most of us do and because of this his neighbor reported that it was not entirely unusual to see a different young man at Stephen's apartment nearly every day. His neighbor and friend noted that Stephen was attracted to men noticeably younger than he and especially to younger men who were more vulnerable, small, perhaps more feminine. But what Stephen really craved, aside from all of that, was ultimate control. The young men he dated said that he was quite manipulative and degrading toward them, that he was argumentative and all-around mentally abusive. Once Stephen was fully into the dating scene, he began to take it even further and was attending and throwing these drug-fueled sex parties. One of his friends came to his apartment one day and noticed that On Stephen's coffee table was this really large, kind of transparent container filled with these little bottles containing some liquid drug as well as baggies of white powder that the friend assumed was cocaine or something like that. He stated after that he began distancing himself from Stephen and they weren't really very close friends after. With each new boyfriend that he acquired... The aggression and sometimes violence escalated, fueled by the drugs he was habitually taking. By June 2014, the now 39-year-old Stephen was fully into the online dating scene, using apps on his phone, most notably Grindr, to meet up and hook up with boys in their very early 20s. A later search of his computer showed his search history, which was quite telling. He was looking for ever-increasingly disturbing sexual stimulation to try to satiate his disturbing sexual appetite. He watched what sources state were pornographic videos of older, bigger men mock raping younger, much smaller men. Then when that wasn't enough, he began to make his own home movies in much the same fashion by luring young men to his apartment, drugging them, and then raping them. Then on June 15, 2014, Stephen contacted 23-year-old fashion student Anthony Walgate through a male escort service website and offered Anthony 800 pounds to spend the night with him. Anthony agreed, and they scheduled their night for two days later on the 17th. On June 19th, Anthony's dead body was found just outside of Stephen's apartment, but it was Stephen himself that called the police. He said, quote, "'There's a young boy. "'Looks like he's collapsed outside. Looks like he collapsed or had a seizure or something, or he's just drunk, unquote. Inside of Anthony's bag, which was sitting beside him, was a bottle that contained the drug GHP, which is often referred to as liquid ecstasy. So for those that aren't familiar, ecstasy is a drug that is usually distributed amongst young adults at bars, parties, clubs, all-night raves. The liquid form is usually put into alcoholic drinks and it causes the person under the influence to experience euphoria, increased sex drive, and a sense of tranquility. But it can also cause sweating, nausea, hallucinations, amnesia, loss of consciousness, coma, and death. It appeared that Anthony had overdosed on GHP but his family was not so certain and they believed he died under suspicious circumstances. They hounded Scotland Yard and eventually Stephen was questioned but more on that in a bit. So less than a month after killing Anthony Stephen met 22-year-old Gabriel Kovari who had come to London from Slovakia looking for a new life, and he met him on a dating site, of course. Around August 23rd, 2014, he moved into Stephen's apartment after he had told the young man he could sleep on the couch rent-free. Now, Gabriel had absolutely no intention of becoming intimate with Stephen, as he had told a friend, but the living arrangement was well worth it. However, after a few days, Gabriel wanted to move out. On August 28th, five days later, Gabriel's body was found near Stephen's apartment in a graveyard by a woman walking her dog. He had been propped up, he had sunglasses on, and a bag was next to him with his belongings. Then, immediately after, Stephen created a fake Facebook profile and friended Gabriel's boyfriend. Then, immediately after, Stephen created a fake Facebook profile and friended Gabriel's boyfriend. And then he began, you know, kind of casually asking how the police investigation was going. Stephen met 21-year-old chef Daniel Whitworth on the dating site Fit He chatted with Daniel before the murder of Gabriel, then Stephen met up with Daniel on September 18th, about three weeks later. Daniel's boss reported him missing the next day when he didn't show up to work, and the day after that, which is two days after meeting Stephen, his body was found in the graveyard at St. Margaret's Church, in the exact same spot that Gabriel had been found. Again, the body was propped up, and again, you're not going to believe this, the same lady walking her dog found him. And again, the police believed the young man had died of a drug overdose. This time, though, Stephen had written a suicide letter that basically stated Daniel was the one who had killed Gabriel, but that it was an accident and, quote... Btw, Please do not blame the guy I was with last night. He knows nothing of what I have done." Daniel's parents were able to see the letter and they knew Daniel hadn't written it. And more importantly, his parents wanted to know who the guy was he mentioned he had been with. It was at this point that the murders began to be noticed by the LGBT community. And also the fact that the police had not made any formal statement or asked for any possible information. When the community pressed, the police assured them that there was, quote, nothing unusual or suspicious about the deaths, unquote. Now, remember, Stephen was questioned after the first death, you know, Anthony. Anthony. Well, Anthony had texted some friends that he was meeting a guy that night and it was connected that Stephen was the guy who had called 999, which is England's version of 911, and that was the guy that Anthony had met up with. Now, since he had lied about not knowing who the young man was dead outside of his apartment, he was arrested and charged with, quote, perverting the course of justice and a court date had been set so he made bail and was free to go until then as in free to kill two more people then in March 2015 he pled guilty and was sentenced to just eight months in prison and he only served two in June he was free to kill again 3 months later, in September, nearly a year to his last murder, Steven met up with 25-year-old Jack Taylor, whom he had met on Grinder. Jack worked as a forklift driver and had been out for a few drinks before meeting up with Steven. The next day, get this, his body was found in the same graveyard as the previous two victims. I mean, this was clearly Stephen's favorite dumping site. Yet another drug overdose, of course, but this time, Jack's family insisted on seeing any security footage from any local cameras in the area where Jack was last seen that might show them what had happened. The footage showed Jack meeting up with Stephen Port at Barking Station, heading over to Stephen's apartment. Then, in just under five hours of meeting Jack, Stephen had blocked his grinder account, thus believing he had hidden his and Jack's connection. The police shared the image from the footage, and the now 40-year-old Stephen was recognized. On October 15, 2015, he was arrested for all four murders. During a search of his apartment, they investigated his laptop where they found this, you know, very disturbing search history, as well as videos of him raping unconscious young men. After the investigation, he was charged with eight additional rapes stemming back in 2012 until the court hearing. He pled not guilty, but was ultimately convicted of 22 offenses against 11 men, which included the four murders. He was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Since then, the police are investigating other mysterious deaths involving similar circumstances and it is currently still ongoing. And an interesting tidbit of information. Stephen starred in a British show called Celebrity Master Chef cooking alongside singer J.B. Gill and actress Emma Barton in 2014. He was wearing his blonde toupee and dressed in the crisp white chef's clothing that we're all familiar with. He would have starred in this sometime during his murders. So in summation. I think every one of us is fully aware that crimes committed within and against the LGBT community go unreported surprisingly more often than not, which is most unfortunate. Regardless of what anyone thinks of people who live a lifestyle that they don't agree with, if they aren't hurting anyone, you know, everything is consensual, then it isn't anyone's place to judge. You cannot hide behind Christianity because it says, quite plainly, that you are not allowed to judge. These are flesh and blood people who have families that love them, who want to live their lives in peace. What they do behind closed doors between consenting adults is no one's business. It is, in my opinion, inexcusable that Stephen was not caught after Anthony's murder. And, most likely due to just a lack of detailed information, I also see no real reason that he turned out to be a serial killer. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at Serial underscore Killing or YouTube under the same name of this podcast. My website is SerialKilling.Squarespace.com and consider sponsoring the podcast. It takes a lot of time to put these together, but I love it. And thanks so much for listening. I appreciate every one of you because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. Have a great day.